Amen. Happy Easter, everyone. My name is Erin. I'm the Connections here, uh, Connections pastor here at Freedom. If you're new with us, it's my pleasure to be with you this morning. Our entire message series leading up today has been about the good news of the Gospels. And we have taken four weeks and presented the message of the Gospels from each of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so today we are going to take the message of the gospel from three individual perspectives this morning, from three followers of Jesus. The first, and in my opinion, the most important part of the good news is that Jesus is alive. It's why we are here celebrating today. And so the first perspective that we're exploring is from Mary Magdalene. She was the woman wearing yellow in that video that we just watched. And she was the first person to hear and to tell the complete gospel message. Mary has been made out to be a lot of things uh, over time and through culture. Uh, Dan Brown, the, the Da Vinci Code, made the center of his book, the plot, all about Mary and Jesus having children together. Uh, over time, some have tried to discredit her. Uh, they've called her a prostitute, or they have elevated her and said she was Jesus's wife, or she was his favorite. But none of those hold to the biblical account of who Mary was. Mary was... Um, her last name wasn't Magdalene, in case you were wondering, just an FYI for you. Magdalene was actually an indicator that she was from Magdala. It wasn't her last name. They had to keep all those Marys straight somehow. It was like the Jennifer S. from like the 80s, right? There was a lot of Marys because Mary was from Miriam, which was Moses' sister. Anyways, we'll keep going. She is thought to have been personally wealthy, but her most important thing about her is who Jesus was to her. In Mark 16, 9 and Luke 8 and 2, we read that Jesus healed her from demon possession. He rescued her. She was at her weakest, her lowest. She was unable to save herself, and Jesus came in and saved her. She is mentioned 12 times in the four Gospels, which is more than some of the disciples. Mary herself was a disciple of Jesus. Not one of the 12, obviously. But by definition, a biblical disciple was a follower of Jesus while he was alive. Mary was a personal follower of Jesus. He saved her. And from that, she understood that he had come not as a great teacher or a leader, but he had come as the savior to the world. She traveled with his followers. She uh, learned from him. She led and ministered with the other disciples. Mary knew the person of Jesus and she believed what he taught about himself. Scripture tells us that Mary watched Jesus' crucifixion. She watched the horror of the weeks of the Passion Week play out. She was there until the very bitter end. We read in Luke that after Jesus' body was removed from the cross, Mary and the other women followed to see which tomb Joseph was going to lay him in. They followed him until the very end. And I can only imagine the thoughts and emotions that, were, that are stirring up in here. And no matter what personal distress or turmoil she was facing, she stayed with Jesus. She didn't leave him. She believed he was who he said he was. She was devoted to him. And what did Mary get as her reward for her devotion? She was the first person to hear the good news that Jesus is alive. Read with me in Luke 24, 1 to 7. I think this is my favorite account. 
On the first day of the week, early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes gleamed like lightning, stood beside them, and in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. I love that so much. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is alive. The good news for Mary is that her friend, her teacher, the person who she believed was the Messiah was alive. He was who he taught that he was. This moment at the tomb is when it all comes together. She remembers what Jesus had told her. She remembers what he had taught. And I just believe the grief and the horror of all that had come had passed away because Jesus was alive. And then from there, Mary isn't just the first to receive the good news. She is the first to go and tell the good news. She is sent to go and tell others about the resurrection of our Savior. She is sent to go and tell. Get up, wake up, come and see. Jesus is alive. The story of Mary is that Jesus set her free. She followed him. She sacrificed her life for him. And he was not a myth. He was not a hoax. He was the son of God. He is the Messiah. And she didn't need to grieve because he wasn't gone and he never would be. He saved her then and he is saving us today. Jesus is alive now and forever. Mary, the woman possessed by demons, a woman lesser by the gender she was born to be, was the first to hear and declare the good news that Jesus is alive. We're going to dive right into the word here. We're going to go to Mark chapter 14, verse 66 to 72. And it says this. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene, Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and went out in the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, this fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. He began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately, the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. Peter, the bold the brash, and in that fateful moment in the courtyard, the not-so-brave disciple of Jesus. Peter, the disciple that was once bold enough to step out of the boat and walk towards Jesus on the water. The one who attempted to rebuke Jesus for revealing that he was going to be killed. The very man who cut off the ear of one of the guards that was there to arrest Jesus in an attempt to defend him. There was no one quite like Peter. Yet, Despite all of his boldness that he displayed throughout his time with Jesus, when it came time to put his faith on display, he faltered. 
as Jesus faced the Sanhedrin that arrested him and were accusing him of heresy and claims to be Christ, Peter stands outside in the courtyard with the servants of those very rulers. As Jesus boldly declares that he is, in fact, the Messiah, sealing his fate on the cross, Peter falters not once, not twice, but three times, denying ever having known the one that he walked with for the past three years. First, simply in front of one single servant girl, where repercussions would have been minimal, if any. And then, a second time, before not just her, but other bystanders that were now within earshot, before finally denying ever knowing Jesus a third time, when questioned once more, this time swearing by various things that he ever knew him. Peter would know that by making these oaths and swearing like this would invoke curses on himself if he was lying. And yet, in his fear, he was so determined to convince them that he never knew Jesus. Once he denied him for the third time, the rooster crowed, and immediately the words of Jesus predicting his denial of him were ringing in his mind, and the waves of grief and shame and pain began to wash over him. Peter's grief is immediate and enormous in magnitude, and I can only imagine the guilt that he was feeling in that moment. And then the events of Jesus' death on the cross take place, and a few days later, Mary Magdalene and the other women arrive at Jesus' tomb. And we pick that up in Mark chapter 16, verse 4 to 7, where it says this. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell the disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Notice that the one disciple who is mentioned by name is Peter. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 5, it says, And that he, meaning Jesus, appeared to Cephas, also known as Peter, and then to the twelve. The very first disciple that Jesus appears to after his resurrection is the disciple that denied ever having known him three times. And I can only imagine the emotions that were running through the mind of Peter as he saw his master walking towards him. Likely a mix of elation at seeing his risen Savior and also a little sheepish, knowing Jesus knew exactly what had happened. We actually get to look into their conversation not long after, and it's this beautiful moment that holds so much power, not just for Peter, but for us as well. But I'll let the scripture speak for itself here in John chapter 21, verse 15 to 19. As Jesus appears again to Peter and a few other disciples on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and they sit down to eat together. It says this, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. 
Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Three times Peter denies Jesus. Three times Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? It's hard to read this passage without noticing the parallels, but what's more astounding about this conversation is the staggering amount of grace, mercy, and forgiveness on display from our Savior. Three times Peter denies Jesus, and yet instead of casting Peter to the side, he offers forgiveness and restoration. Instead of telling him to leave, he says, follow me. Not only that, but 50 days after his denial of Christ, Peter goes on to preach to the crowds at Pentecost and brings 3,000 people to Christ that day and becomes a rock of the early church. Christ continued to use Peter long after that fateful moment in the courtyard. Follow me. Those two powerful words that were offered to Peter and transformed his life are also offered to each and every one of us as well. There is restoration. There is hope. And there is a future with Christ. Jesus picks up the broken pieces of an imperfect humanity and out of it comes something more beautiful than we could ever imagine. There is no person too far from Christ to receive the same forgiveness that Peter did in that moment. No matter who you are or what you've done, Jesus Christ calls out to us and says, follow me. Thanks, Pastor Ethan. And Pastor Aaron for this table being too high for the hobbit-sized pastor. <laughs> Should have worn my heels today. My name is Tracy. I have the honor of being the lead pastor here at Freedom Church. And if uh, I think this is my 14th Easter at Freedom. And I have to tell you, if you don't know this already, I love Easter. Like Christmas is fun, but Easter, Easter. And uh, Ethan and Aaron, had, I've already shared with you the reason why. There's other characters in this story. Each one reacted differently to what happened that first Easter weekend. And I don't know about you, but when my heart is broken and when I have been overwhelmingly or repeatedly disappointed... My instinct is to withdraw. Is that you? I want to withdraw from people. I want to protect my heart. I want to lick my wounds and remind myself that people just cannot be trusted and make not make that mistake again. Or as my mother would teach us as children, life is hard and then you die. Just be in that moment. I've talked about that before. I gotta, if, you, if you're new here, you don't know my mom. Um, she is a lovely woman. She is full of grace and mercy, but that was just something she needed us to know as children. That's what happens to me when I feel overwhelmingly disappointed. And I guess the thinking is, if I just close myself off from the world, I can't get hurt again. It's a terrible philosophy to live by, but it's real. It's something that probably all of us have done. So maybe you're like that too. But even if you're not, maybe you think that's crazy and I need to get some help. That's fine. I know I am not the only one who has done this. I know that I'm in good company because there's this famous disciple named Doubting Thomas. 
And it seems that that may be exactly what he did after watching Jesus be tortured and crucified and buried. What a soul-crushing disappointment. The shock and fear he must have felt. The knowledge that he'd fallen apart and run away like a coward in Jesus' darkest moment. They all did, by the way. Except for the women, of course, as Pastor Aaron pointed out. I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying. I'm just saying Pastor Aaron already pointed that out. That moment would seems to have thrown him into a grief that just gripped him. And maybe that's why when Jesus begins to appear to the disciples after his resurrection, Thomas kept missing the moment. He wasn't there. Scripture says that they, they told him about seeing Jesus, but he didn't believe them. And the verb in the Greek that's written there is in the imperfect tense, which means the disciples kept on telling him that they had seen Jesus and he was alive, uh, but he wasn't buying it. Or perhaps he just couldn't handle it. If they were wrong or they were delusional or anything else, they had come up with some conspiracy. He just was like, I can't do this again. I just won't. I'm sorry. Maybe you know what that feels like. And then we have this beautiful scene recorded by John in his gospel account in chapter 20. It says this, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, which BTW means twin. So he had a twin somewhere. So I don't know, I don't know what's going on with that, but that's what that means. Now Thomas, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So much shade is thrown at Thomas. <laughs> Doubting Thomas for 2,000 years. That's how he's known. But hey, guys, tell me that you would have responded differently. <laughs> to see your teacher executed, tell me you would have done it differently. To me, there's actually something very admirable about Thomas. He didn't pretend. He didn't say he believed when he didn't believe. He was uncompromisingly honest, maybe to a fault. And when he was sure, though, when he saw Jesus, he went all the way. My Lord and my God. All the way in. It's all that needed to be said. And listen, it wasn't just Thomas. The rest of the disciples, this part of it's not in the story unless you look for it. The rest of the disciples also refused to believe when the women had reported to the same exact thing to them until they saw Jesus for themselves. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. I just feel defensive about Thomas. Like, I just feel like he got a two millennia bad rap here. They believed when they saw him for themselves. But the point here is that, and, and I guess the banner of good news in this short scene recorded here is that Jesus already knew what was in Thomas's heart. It was a week between what Thomas had said and when he actually saw Jesus for himself. He knew what Thomas had said about, about seeing him and touching the scars. He understood his grief. He understood his pain and his doubt. And Jesus wasn't mad at him. He didn't leave him there. 
He came to him. This is the good news. Here's the banner. Jesus responds. He doesn't leave us in our questions. He doesn't leave us in our fear. He doesn't tell us we should just get over ourselves and know better. I mean, maybe we should some of the time, but in this case, he does not. He shows up in the middle of the confusion, and he speaks directly to where Thomas's heart is struggling. The stories about Jesus from others were amazing. I'm sure he heard many of them, miraculous, helpful. But secondhand information could not break through to Thomas. What finally got through to him was the presence of Christ, the presence of Jesus. And Thomas's only reasonable response was complete surrender. My Lord and my God. See, Jesus showed himself to Thomas not to scold him, but only after revealing himself, then did he say, okay, now stop doubting and believe. Let's move on from here. And to me, it's such a beautiful picture of grace. The presence of Christ to transform the heart and then move us on from there. Deeper and deeper into faith, into the ability to serve him, to show us what's next. Thomas, I think, is a template for us who read the story of Jesus from a distance. Because we are distanced from the first Easter weekend. We hear the report. We've heard the scriptures this morning. We read John's gospel. And we are the ones also this morning who are challenged to believe. This Easter Sunday, the question rings out, do you know the good news? Jesus is risen, Jesus restores, and Jesus responds. He has won the victory over sin and death. He forgives sins. He restores our broken relationship with God. And he meets us right where we are with his presence. Do you know how I know that? Because I've experienced it over and over and over again in my life. And maybe you think, well, that's fine. You're weird. That's cool for you. But I'll tell you, this is the story of so many people sitting beside you. If this is not your story, it can be because that's who Jesus is. All of us experiencing the presence of Christ in our lives. Perhaps you can sense that today. You're like, what's that thing in this room? That's Jesus. That's his presence. Can you hear him calling you this morning to believe? To surrender everything, to make him Lord or, or the boss of your life. Jesus said, Blessed are those who have seen, have not seen, and yet have believed. Do you know who that is? Us. The physical manifestation of Christ on earth is not here. And Jesus says, Hey, 2023. There is a blessing for you when you hear this story and you sense my presence and you believe. This is a promise for us today. I want to invite you to experience the fullness of this good news. You really can know Jesus in his fullness, in, in his power, in the power of his victory over death and sin. We've been singing about it all morning. In his ability to restore and forgive we talked about that and, and, and seen it in the scriptures. The way that he offers his presence like we see in this scene with Thomas. I want you to know him this morning because he can meet you exactly where you are. I yell about this a lot. It feels like the right moment to say it again. You do not have to fix yourself to come to Jesus. Jesus has already come to you. 
You don't have to say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just clean up a couple things in my life and I'm going to do a thing and then I'm going to start going to church for reals. I'm just telling you, Jesus is already in your house. He's in your car. He's with you. He's calling you. You can sense it. That's kind of why your heart's beating a little fast this morning. And I'm not just talking to people who have never heard about Jesus before. I'm talking to you who have known him for a long time but have found a distance between you and him. I'll tell you the same is true. You don't need to check off seven things on your Bible reading plan before he will come and meet you where you are. This good news that Jesus is risen, that he restores and that he responds, this is the banner over my life. This is the headline of my life. I'd love for it to be the headline of your life too because it has changed me from the inside out. You're invited to do that this morning. Whether you... Know who Jesus is and believe, and there's become a distance. Maybe this is brand new information to you, and you want to learn more about who Jesus is. I want to tell you that I'm not lying when I say it's not just me who's experienced Jesus this way. I referenced it already, but on Good Friday, we asked people to say, if somebody was to ask you, with Jesus, what is the headline of your life? How would you just like, in one headline, what would you say? And these are some of the things that they said. Some of them are so beautiful. I do want to encourage you, if you haven't seen them yet, uh, Nate, I'm going to ruin this for you, and I'm sorry about doing He's like, there's no camera for this. I'm sorry. Off campus, I'm sorry. Jesus is all. His love is unconditional. Protection beyond belief. He died for me, but he makes me alive. Jesus set me free from sin, regret, and shame. He is always faithful in all things. This is the, and this was the message on Good Friday. Jesus loves me. And on and on and on they go. These are the headlines of people's lives who have been changed by Christ. And I want to invite you to make that decision for yourself this morning. Maybe you're like, this is very, very new to me, Tracy. I, I don't even know. This is, this is just new. I want to just say to you, there's a couple of things I want to invite you to do. You can go to our website, freedomkw.com life. You can get there right from the homepage. It says, like, do you want to know more about Jesus? If you go to that page, it actually explains in just really, really simply exactly what we're talking about, what it means to follow Jesus. It gives you an opportunity to connect with us, one of our pastors, to be able to sit down and have a conversation. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What would that look like in my life? Um, and I really want to know more. That's available to you. But I also want to say, if you came with someone this morning, um, even online you're there with Joel and Caitlin this morning, um, they can absolutely connect with you. They would love to share the gospel with you and help you and pray with you. However, you would like to do that off campus. This is available to you as well. But here in the house, one of the best things you could do is to just ask the person that you came to church with or that you know who's a Christian and say, can you tell me more about what this means? Do you know what they will do? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Maybe something like that. Maybe not quite as excitable as me. But um, Something like that, it would be our delight to just share because you know why? Jesus has changed our lives. He's the one who's risen, who's defeated death, defeated sin, offers forgiveness. He's the one uh, who offers restoration when we have walked away, when we have ignored, when we've sinned. And he's the one who meets us exactly where we are. So we're really grateful for that. So I do want to encourage you, before you leave this morning, read some headlines. Maybe write your own headline. I don't have any Sharpies and markers. I'll get you a Sharpie if you want to write your own headline. We'll be happy to add to our craft. That would be no problem. So please, 
If you can feel that the Lord is calling you this morning, that's for you. That's what Easter is all about. That's why we're so excited this morning. We, I'm preaching in confetti. We've never done that before. It's worth it. Not because confetti is just fun, which it is, but because we're that excited about who Jesus is and what he's done. And so, Jesus, thank you for your presence. That you are meeting us right here this morning, right where you are. Thank you for your grace in our lives. That when we have walked away and we have rebelled and we have sinned, you just offer us forgiveness and freedom so, just freely. Freely you do. Not because we deserve it, not because we can earn it, but because you just do it. And Lord Jesus, thank you that most of all you are risen. That we don't serve a, a Lord and God who died and paid the penalty and it stayed there. We serve one who did that and then conquered death in the grave. So that we know that in relationship with you that we can spend eternity with you. Because uh, we, don't, we literally can have eternal life because of your sacrifice and then your victory. We're so grateful, Jesus. Thank you for being here with us. God, I pray for those who are searching for you, who are wondering what it is in their life that they're missing, who are wondering what it really means to follow you like Peter did. God, I ask that you would help us by your spirit, help us to uh, not be afraid to ask the question, to pursue the answer. You said if we seek, then we will find. If we knock, then the door will be open to us. And so I ask, Lord, that you would give us courage to take next steps to go deep into our, into our curiosity and to find you there because I know, Lord, that you are going to meet us in every place that we are because you're already here. So thank you for this, Lord Jesus. We worship you for what you've done. We love you and we bless you in, in your name.